The reading today is Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Joy. Ah, what an amazing psalm. How about I pray for us before we get into it? Um, And just thank God for his word. Lord, thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. Lord, you've spoken to us. You've made yourself known. And without you doing that, Lord, we would be lost. We wouldn't know what we were doing. Um, But we thank you that even now, as we read your word and we hear the amazing truths about you, you speak to us again. Your word is is active, it's living, 
It's breathed out on us by you. Uh, And so, Lord, I I pray that your word would do the work in us that's needed this morning to draw us to you, to strengthen us in you, to challenge us to trust you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, for a time of my life, uh, I lived in Hong Kong. Loads of you won't know that. Um, I I studied there at university for six months. And if you know Hong Kong, well, if you don't, here it is on the screen. Um, But if you know Hong Kong, it's it's got one of the most recognizable skylines in the world. It's a city that has uh, nearly 2,000 skyscrapers. Um, and they literally light up the sky at night. It's amazing. And I remember whenever I was there, seeing one of those skyscrapers being built from the ground, Um, and it's just a fascinating process to watch. Because when building skyscrapers, some of them as tall as maybe like 400 meters in the air, they they take these huge steel beams, uh, and they sink them deep into the ground drive them down uh, as far sometimes as about 25 stories into the ground, 250 feet. Uh, and that's what provides those skyscrapers with the foundations that they need to be, to, be able to, build, to be built so high, to be strong and secure. If the foundations aren't laid properly, if those steel beams aren't bedded down deep enough, then what happens to the skyscrapers is that they start to, to kind of move uh, they start to, to lean and develop these cracks in the walls and even in some of the windows. Because without those supporting beams, without the strong foundations, the skyscraper isn't fit for purpose. Those supporting beams are so essential. Or else the skyscraper, it won't stand the test of time. It won't last. It starts to crumble. And eventually, if the problem isn't fixed, it will fall. Now, as we come to Psalm 139 this morning, the last of the Psalms that we're looking at in this summer series, I want you to keep that image in your mind. Because David, who's writing this Psalm, he he talks about three big theological truths about God. And I'm going to throw them out right from the start here, and then we're going to think about them and what they mean. He talks about the omniscience of God the omnipresence of God and the omnipotence of God. Now, when you see the word omni, some of you in the room will know that 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 just means all. So when he's talking about the omniscience of God, he's talking about the fact that God knows all things. God is all-knowing. When he talks about the omnipresence of God, it's that God is present in all things. He's everywhere present. And omnipotence is that God has power over all things. These are three big foundational truths about God, which David gives to us here in Psalm 139. And here's the thing. For us here now, we, like David, we need these truths. They are essential to us in the Christian life. We need to know them deep down in our souls. Because these truths, they act for us as God's people like those steel beams do for those skyscrapers in Hong Kong. They're truths about God 
which, when buried deep in our souls, make us solid and secure as God's people. They're truths about God which make us as Christians steady, unshakable, even when the world around us is rocking. And when the rich theology of these three terms, it comes home to us and is buried deep in our hearts, it creates in us this this praise of God, this worship of him. And it means that we can say three things, three convictional statements with absolute assurance. And here's the first thing. The first thing that we see David say in this passage is, God, you know me. You know me. Look at verse one. Oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. See, he's, he's painting this picture of God doing this detailed, comprehensive study of his life. And David says, God, you know me from top to bottom, inside and out. There's not anything about me that you don't know. Nothing is hidden from you. And here's, here's a couple of things that, that he says about the omniscience of God, of God's all-knowingness. Here's the first. It's that God's knowledge is wonderful. God's knowledge is wonderful. You see how he says that in verse six? Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. It really is wondrous knowledge that God has. Look at verse two. God, you know what I'm doing all the time. When I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You know what I'm thinking all the time. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Verse four, this is wondrous knowledge, isn't it? Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. We're sometimes amazed when, well, maybe, maybe it's just me, but whenever I'm typing into Google, and Google seems to know what I'm thinking, you know, you're, you're typing in, like, where's the nearest, and then it comes up, the nearest coffee shop or the nearest petrol station. Is Google omniscient? Well, no, Google's not omniscient. It's the algorithms in the internet. It's the previous searches that I've made. That's what leads Google to the conclusions that it comes to. But God doesn't need algorithms. God doesn't go off a previous search history. He has absolute foreknowledge of the words that we're going to say even before we've uttered the first syllable. And I was thinking about some of, some of the examples that there are in the Old Testament when God displays this kind of incredible, wondrous knowledge There's a time in in Isaiah when God speaks to the prophet Isaiah and he says, I'm going to tell you about this guy Cyrus. And here's what Cyrus is going to do. And here's what he's going to say. This guy Cyrus, he's going to be the ruler of nations. And he'll do this and he'll do that. But the issue was Cyrus hadn't even been born yet. And he wouldn't be born into this world for another 150 years. But yet God speaks to Isaiah and says, there's this man that's coming. He's going to be called Cyrus. It'll be a while before he comes, but he's going to come and he's going to do A, B, and C. And whenever Cyrus does eventually come, what does he do? Well, he does A, B, and C, just as God said that he would. This is lofty knowledge, isn't it? That's why David says it's, It's knowledge that is is beyond us as human beings. We can't comprehend God's knowledge. It's wondrous. 
So many places in the Bible where, where God kind of lists this credential that he has of his wondrous knowledge. He says, Job 28, verse 24, that God looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Psalm 147, verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. There is nothing in all this world, past, present, or future, that God does not know. Nothing is beyond his understanding. Nothing is kept in secret from, from him. God's knowledge is wonderful. But secondly, see how God's knowledge is personal. This is a, a deeply personal psalm, isn't it? 47 times David uses I, me, or my. So he's, he's taking this massive theological truth of the omniscience of God and he's bringing it down into his own life into his own reality, his present life. He says in verse five, God, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. It's this deeply personal knowledge that God has of him in the past, in the present and in the future. In every season of life, through all that we go through, the good times and the bad, the mountaintops and the valleys, lo, God, you see me in it all. Doesn't Jesus say, God is aware even when a sparrow falls from the sky. And how much more valuable are you than a sparrow? You think he's going to lose track of you? God has never and will never take his watchful eye off you. And you know, for some of us in this morning, just like what John has been saying from the start, some of us need to know this. Some of us need to hear this because maybe right now we're feeling like no one else sees us in this world. Maybe right now we feel like we are forgotten about by other people. You see the truth of this passage, the truth that, that David brings home to us, that God wants to bed deep in our souls this morning. It's that in every season of life, in every occasion, God sees you. But for some of us in, in the room this morning, there, there might also be not a reassuring side of this, but, but almost an unsettling side of this, to know that, that there is a God who knows all things about me. A God who sees all things about me. Because if, if he does know everything about me, as this passage says, then he knows all that I've done. All that I've said. He knows even the things that I've thought. The things that I'm ashamed of in the past. The things I'm guilty of in the present. He knows my deepest, darkest thoughts. He knows even the things that others, the closest people in my life, don't know about me. And if God knows those things, well, he knows then, like I do, I'm no saint. I'm a sinner, guilty before him in so many ways. But you know, what comforts me about this is as I read this, I know that David must have been thinking this about himself. He must have been because he knew he was no saint. 
He knew that he'd been an irresponsible and unloving father at times in his life. He knew that he'd been an adulterer, a deceiver, even a murderer. But yet, the truth of God's omniscience fills him with wonder, not woe. Why? Why? Well, it's because he is confident that the God who knows all things about him still loves him, still accepts him. He is absolutely sure that the God who knows him completely has forgiven him completely. And as Christians in the room this morning, we can know this too. As we consider the the gospel in light of the omniscience of God, we know that, that the God who knows us loves us. The God who knows us has forgiven us. Think about Romans chapter five. It it, it tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just think about that for a second. God, he saw my sin, all of it, all that makes me, me guilty before him. And yet he willingly stepped forward to the cross for me in full knowledge of all that I have done to offend him. Isn't that just the most wonderful thing? If you or I were God, we wouldn't have done it like that. Romans tells us that. For a good man or woman, someone might die, but not for his enemies. Things in the world, they don't shake out like that. If if you or I were God, what we probably would have done either, either is destroy the world or disown the world, not die for the world. But that's exactly what God did for us in Jesus Christ. He was bruised so that we could be healed. He was stripped and shamed so that we could be clothed in his glory. And he died so that we could have life. This is what God our Savior did for us. And so we don't need to hide anything from him. We don't need to to try to keep things in secret from him because he knows it all anyway. And so we can come and we can confess our sin to him this morning without fear of condemnation. We can come to him asking for his forgiveness this week, knowing that because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, we are forgiven. We are loved to the end. Doesn't that truth make us strong and secure as believers? I pray it does for you this week. It does for David here in this passage. God, you know me. And secondly, this is what David says. God, you're always with me. You're always with me. That's what we see in verses 7 to 12. David's talking about the omnipresence of God. And he's asking that question in verse 7 that he knows the answer to already. Where shall I go from your spirit, God? Or where shall I flee from your presence? The answer is nowhere. Because, God, I know that you are everywhere. There is nowhere that I can go to flee from you, to get away from you. Verse 8, if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down and make my bed in Sheol, that's the grave, you're there too. If I take the wings of the morning, that's in the east where the sun rises, well, you're there. But if I go to the the, the other side, to the west, where I actually would go to the uttermost parts of the sea, that's the, he's talking about the Mediterranean, he's writing Jerusalem, that's in the west from him. And he says, well, in the west, you're there too. Wherever I go, whether it's north, south, east, or west, I am confident that you are there with me, Lord. 
Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. It seems when we kind of consider this this passage as a whole that, that David really needs to know that God is there with him. There's, there's a reason why he needs to know that because it looks like things aren't rosy in life for David right now. He talks a lot about darkness in this passage. You see that in verses 11 and 12. And in the Bible, darkness is synonymous with feeling hopeless. It's a place of fear in the dark. And David, he, he feels that darkness closing in. He feels almost even like the darkness might cover him and consume him. But do you see the truth about God that he clings to in verse 12? It's, it's beautiful words. Look what he knows about God that steadies him and gives him security. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Even in the dark, God is there. Even in the dark, God can see. When we can't, he can see what's before us. His hand is leading us. His hand is holding us. And I I want us again to consider God's omnipresence in light of the gospel this morning. Because as Christians here, this is something that we can say with absolute insurance and confidence. God, you're always with me. Whether in darkness or in light, there is never a moment of my life where you're not with me, where the signal will drop out or where there's a blind spot in experience in your presence. But do you see as well how for us as Christians who are new covenant believers, those who are this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, we can say this statement in an even more profound way, in an even more a deeply intimate way than David even could. Because we have been given God's very spirit to live in us. It's what Jesus promised to his disciples in John 16. He said, I'm leaving you. I'm going to be leaving this earth and going back to heaven to sit at the Father's right hand. But it's better for you that I do. Because when I go, I will send another helper. My own spirit to live in each of you. To work in you and to work through you. It's how Jesus, he made that that promise to his disciples in Matthew 28 where he said to them, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is not just present with us. Jesus Christ is present in us. And we've talked a lot in these last couple of years, I think, about about what it looks like to actually abide in Jesus Christ. What does it look like for us to to kind of live abiding in him because we know that if we want to produce any fruit in the Christian life, any good fruit, then we have to abide in Jesus, to be connected to him. But the question I often ask myself and maybe the question that we often kind of talk about together is how do we do that? What does it actually look like to abide in Jesus? Well, I think for me anyway, abiding in Jesus means living every day with this awareness of his presence with me. In every moment, in every place, living with the conscious awareness that Jesus Christ is right there with me, there to help me. Whenever I'm there at the bus stop this morning and I'm feeling weak and I'm feeling like I am tired, he's there with me to supply me with the grace 
to be able to keep going, the strength I need. Whenever I'm there in, in one of my kids' bedrooms and, and they're driving me up the wall last night because I just can't get them to go to sleep and all I need is patience, he's there with me. He promises to give me what I need. Whenever I'm uh, sitting in the barbers and Jack, my hairdresser, is there uh, and all I want to do is be able to speak to this guy about Jesus Christ and tell him about the hope that I have in Jesus, but I never know what to say. Never know when the right moment is. Jesus Christ, he's there with me. And you know, he, he promises even in those moments to give me the words to say, and the courage to speak. For me, that is a huge part of what it means to abide in Jesus Christ. Depending on him, delighting in him, resting in him because I know that he is always with me. And so when you're at home this week, looking after the kids, or when you're in work, or when you're cleaning the house, or when you're driving in your car, or when you're playing football on a Monday night at the 3G at Stormont, what does it look like for you in any moment, in every context, to find yourself aware of God's presence with you? Aware that he is with you. God, you know me. God, you're always with me. And thirdly, we can say with David, God, you made me. You made me. And here in verses 13 to 16 is where we see the omnipotence of God on display. His all-powerful nature. Because who has power like God? Who has power to create life from nothing? Who has power to work wonders in the darkness of a mother's womb? The answer is no one but God. The greatest masterpieces by the greatest artists in the world. You think of the Mona Lisa by Da Vinci or the Night Watch by Rembrandt. Those amazing pieces of art, none of them were created in the darkness. None of them were painted when the lights were turned off. But here David says in verse 13 to 16, in the darkness and secrecy of my mother's womb, God, you made me. You created your masterpiece. You knit together my fingers and my toes. You formed all of my vital organs. You fashioned every artery and vein, coded every chromosome. And David says, for that, I will praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, Lord. My soul knows it very well. And it's not only that he has the power to create life in the womb, but it's also that he has the power to sustain that life and to write a story for that life that goes all the way from even before conception to the moment we breathe our final breath on this earth. No one else is powerful enough to write the story of our lives except God because he is the author of life. God, you made me. Augustus Toplady, he's a famous hymn writer, and he talked about how when God does a work in those who are in Jesus Christ, the story God writes in our lives is written in such a way that it can never be scratched out. It can never be erased. It's almost like it's written with a permanent marker. No one can change it. No one can alter it. 
not Satan, not the powers of darkness or evil. And as him, as him said these words, my name from the palms of your hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on your heart, it remains in marks of indelible grace. That's the beauty of the gospel, that the all-powerful God of the universe made us and has remade us in Jesus Christ. He has made us into a new creation in him. No one else is powerful enough to do that. Only God can. And so, brother or sister, if you're a Christian this morning and you want to change, well, the only way that we can change is if we run to him who has the power to do it. Is if we turn to him and ask him to do the work that only he can do in us. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, but you want your life to be different, the story of your life to be rewritten almost, there is only one who can do that. And it's God. Run to him this morning. Trust in him. And he promises that he will turn your life story around. Here's a truth that we can hold to that makes us steady and secure as Christians in the world. No one or nothing in this world can loosen the grip of God's love and grace for those who are in Jesus Christ. No one can do it. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. This week, go and read that whole chapter, especially verses 31 to 39. But I'm going to read verses 38 and 39 because they say the most incredible thing about how God holds our lives. This is what Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are precious truths about God that we must hold to if we want to be strong and secure as Christians in this world. God, you know me. God, you're always with me. And God, you made me. And now, God, I ask that you will lead me. God, now lead me, is what David says in verse 19 to 24. It seems like a bit of a handbrake turn, doesn't it? In verse 19 to 22, we read it and we kind of feel a bit uncomfortable. They're the verses that, that never appear in the newborn baby cards. They're, they're the verses that we don't hear at the baby dedication. We kind of want to skip over them almost, but they're here for a reason. And, and the reason I think they're here is, is because they tell us something again of what David is going through. David in verses 17 and 18, he's talking about God's precious thoughts one minute, but then he turns in these verses and all of a sudden he's saying, do away with the wicked God, kill them. I hate them. With how much hatred, David? With complete hatred. What's he talking about? How do these verses fit? Well, look, David, he's living in the real world, just like we are. He's living in a world with real darkness, with real evil. And the reality is that, that David, his world, even right now, we've seen this in lots of other Psalms that we've looked at, but his world right now is kind of a world that is rocking, a world that is shaking, and he needs to be made secure by the things that he knows to be true about God. 
He needs to, to remember them, to go back to them again. He is one of God's people, someone who loves him and wants to serve him and glorify him in this world. But there are other people, other people in this world who don't honor God, who don't love him. They hate him and they want to bring an end to him and his people. And David says in verse 19 to 22, I can see them. I can see their malicious intent. And I want you to know, God, I'm not going to be found standing with them. I'm not with them. I'm not going to partner with evil. I am one of your children. My ultimate allegiance is to you, God. You see that the movement of this psalm from start to finish, this is where it all kind of fits together because in the early part, David is saying, God, you've been with me. And now here at the end, you see him saying, now God, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm for you. This is an allegiance thing that he's talking about here. And here's the truth of it for us this morning. As God's children, we choose to walk in the light rather than in the darkness. We choose to walk in the light rather than in the darkness. That's what David is doing here. He, he is making a choice, a choice to walk in the light of the knowledge of God, in the light of his power and presence, aware of who God is, aware that he is with him. And that's what we're called to do too as his children. We're called to choose each day as we wake to, to be aware of God's presence with us. We're, we're called to, to choose to walk each day in the light of the truth of the gospel. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 5. We're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. But in Ephesians 5, he says, this is who you are as God's children. This is who you are. You were once darkness, but now you are light. And he says, as such, walk as children of light. What does it look like to walk as children of light? Well, I think David shows us in these verses because he prays that God would deal with the darkness out there, yes. But the climax of this is at the end here in verses 23 and 24. He prays that God would deal with the darkness in here too. Not just the darkness out there, God, the darkness in here as well. This psalm doesn't allow David or us here in the church to fixate on the darkness and the evil that's out there in the world. No. David says, look, when you're dealing with that God, deal with me. Search me. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. There's this humility in David as he prays to God at the end an openness for him to be tested and to have God, who is light, to shine a light into his heart, to reveal to him where he needs to change, to reveal to him where there are still areas darkened and that God needs to shine his light and reveal. He knows that God is the only one powerful enough to do this work. He's the only one powerful enough to change his heart. And so, that's where we see this psalm end, where it began. Verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. You know me, God. You know everything about me. Now search me again. Reveal to me 
what needs to be changed, and keep leading me in the light towards everlasting light. God wants to take the big truths of these passages and bury them deep in our hearts as Christians this morning so that we are changed, so that we are sanctified, so that we live in the light of the gospel and so that we, like those skyscrapers in Hong Kong that light up the sky, we light up this dark world around us. This summer, and uh, on paternity leave, I've had a lot more time at home with my kids, and it's been great. I've loved it. I'm feeling a lot more tired than I usually do, but I've loved it. And one of the things that I have loved about being at home with my children is being there in the evenings to be able to read to them and just talk to them about God and his word. It's one of the things that I've loved doing because I've thought a lot recently about how I can, can really help to bring these girls up to know Jesus Christ and to be strong and confident in this world. Not in themselves, but to be strong and to be confident in the God who has made them. And a kind soul in our church, they gave us these books. There were three of them, but I couldn't find three of them this morning. I scrambled to get out the door. But these books, they're, they're books which, which really are about Psalm 139. A book about God's power a book about God's presence, a book about God's knowledge. And we've read these books together with my four-year-old and my two-year-old. And we've talked about them, we've joked about them in some of the pictures that there are in them. But it's my prayer for them that the, the three big truths that are contained in this passage about God are truths that they know from the earliest days in their lives. That God takes and he buries deep down into their heart. Why? Well, I want that for them because I know in the back of my mind there will come a day, maybe in five years or 10 years or 15 years in their life, there will come a day because we live in a fallen world where the darkness will enclose them, where the darkness will feel like it's setting in around them. And it might seem like in those times that God is a million miles away from them. It might feel like they are on their own but I, I pray that in those moments, they reach down into their hearts and they find the truth that God is with them, that God knows them, because he's the God who made them. And I pray that these are the things that will give them assurance in life, that will steady them in life. That's my prayer for my kids, but it's also my prayer for us, for you that we too will know the God who knows us, that we will know the God who is always with us, that we will know the God who made us, and we will ask him to lead us. That's my prayer, and that's why I want us to set out into this new kind of year, this new autumn term, trusting in and living in the light of. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you Thank you for the amazing truth of this, of this passage and of your word, Lord. That you are a God who knows all things, who's present in all things, and who's powerful over all things. Lord, these are truths that I pray you would bury deep in our hearts, that we would know with full assurance. And Lord, that in knowing these things, we would be strong. We would be steady. 
we'd be people who live in light of the truth of the gospel so that we can be light in this world. Light that, that draws others to you out of darkness into light. Lord, only you can do the work that's needed in us, as David says here, because there will be ways, Lord, that, that we forget what you're like. There'll be ways even, maybe, Lord, that we reject some of the truth about what you're like. But Lord, I pray that you, you will shine your light into our hearts, reveal the places where we maybe need to confess our sin to you. And we'll come to you, Lord, knowing that you're ready to forgive us, that you know us, everything about us, but yet you still love us. What an amazing thing. Lord, if there are any this morning as well who have, have yet to, to come to know you, I pray that today, Lord, you'd reveal yourself to them in a, in a way that they've never experienced before. They'll see something of you in this passage that, that just comes home to them and makes them see that you're a God that is worth getting to know, that you're a God that's worth drawing near to. Lord, would you do that work in them as well? Open their heart to you. Show them that, that you're the only one, Lord, that can rewrite their story and bring them from death to life in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for who you are and all you've done for us, and we pray that we would trust you and live to honor and to glorify you. Amen.